the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Andrea K Show is sponsored by Andrea K. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Okay, well, welcome to a uh, special Memorial Day edition of the Andrea K. Show. I'm Tax and Estate Planning Attorney Rod Hatley, sitting in uh, this evening uh, with a very special guest in studio, and that is uh, retired U.S. Marine Corps Major Scott Husing. And Scott is uh, a battle-hardened veteran of uh, the Iraq War and has also published a book called Echo in Ramadi, which is really uh, recounting his exploits leading Echo Company in Ramadi, which I understand was the deadliest city in all of Iraq. So uh, it's a real honor to have you here, Scott. Thank you so much for coming in on this special Memorial Day issue of the uh, Andrea K. Show. And uh, let's see, just to kind of get this kicked off, um, where are you from? I mean, how did you, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Uh, And then uh, how did you get involved with the uh, the military? Why join the Marine Corps as opposed to any other service, that sort of thing? So where were you born? Well, thanks for having me on the show, and thanks to Andrea, um, everybody here in the whole Salem family, man. Great, you know, yeah. great station, you know, that helps share military stories like this. Uh, I always say I got lured into the Marines <laughs> by the recruiter. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's nothing as romantic as it seems, but as a guy that came from, you know, the far north suburbs of Chicago, okay. not having a stellar high school career i uh squeaked out with like a 1.24 gpa oh, wow. um, yeah, i don't i don't even know again true confession uh i don't know if that's graduating or they just said scott you can go ahead and do it. <laughs> it's a social promotion yeah 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 so uh i enlisted yeah. fought in desert shield desert storm and then after um a successful enlistment yeah. decided to go to college okay went, went to school at illinois state for three years and graduated with a much more respectful okay. gpa <laughs> yeah. and yeah. uh yeah but, you know, I say graduate in three years as well because that is attributed to the discipline you learn as a young Marine. Yeah, and yeah. Treating everything as a mission, um, you know, after, you know, serving in all the billets of responsibility and all sure. the right schools right. as a young lieutenant and a captain some 15 years later, that's when I was thrust into, as you said, the deadliest city in Iraq, which is wow. was not just hyperbole, it's, uh, you know, almost 25% of all the casualties uh, we had during this long war okay. have happened in the city of Iraq because of its key significance. Wow. Okay. Um, so you joined the Marine Corps basically out of high school, it sounds like, and it would just, uh, it, what, what led you to the Marine Corps? I mean, why say the Marine Corps as opposed to maybe the Navy, the Army, or any other service that you could have joined? Yeah, what was- yeah I got roped in by a good <laughs> high school friend, you know. They, okay, that'll do know, it to I, you. Yeah. Again, you know, I my high school career uh leading a very risky lifestyle as uh-huh. a youngster not yep. having a lot of supervision right you know running from the cops drinking underage oh my goodness wow um, getting caught by the cops okay. fighting okay uh, my friend introduced me to this 
group of recruiters and you, you know okay. when you, you know when you go into that recruiting station sure <laughs> all the placards and all you know they got cool marine corps stuff up and oh yeah you, you get sucked in and yeah and these guys seem and like, then you hey, go to go to boot camp <laughs> yeah and then you, you that's a rude awakening yeah but yeah. uh you know it, the, they appeared to be this great big yeah. group of risk takers and i thought man these guys are a perfect fit sure so i enlisted went to boot camp and uh, you know i my leadership training i think even started then or okay. and i never subscribed like you know leaders are born but uh, i always wanted to lead sure. i always wanted to be in charge and even you know when you get on that bus to recruit training i was the kid in his football letterman's jacket carrying everyone else's records and then i was the guide in boot camp like oh, the wow. senior guy that got okay thrashed more than anybody on the right. quarter deck and then uh after college um you know, I really didn't have any aspirations of going back into the Marine Corps. Okay. Uh, I was going to go do federal service work, but a young sergeant, these amazing NCOs, these right. non-commissioned officers, um, he called me and said, I could get you a boat space at OCS. Um, you know, if you could r- come down, run a physical fitness test, take a physical. And I still had that desire to lead. Okay. And, and that calling. And I really felt like I wanted to give back. So okay. that's where I wound up getting my commission. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what was um, your um, uh, your MOS, your Marine, your military operational specialty, when you were in the first time as an enlisted man, and then when you came back in again, was it the same or did it change? What happened? Yeah, it, it changed for me. I started off uh, in the with a as an anti aircraft uh, Hawk Stinger gunner shooting down airplanes, and okay. then I was a, a machine gunner in an O three thirty one in. Uh, in college in my reserve unit and then when i transitioned to the officer side i was uh infantry i was an infantry officer okay so, so i've pretty much been in the infantry the major the vast and i know that all marine uh, marines whether they're enlisted or officer they're uh they're infantry primarily and then they may have a subspecialty well, and to defend my infantry brothers every marine is a rifleman but okay. not, not all can make it through the rigors of the School of Infantry for the enlisted side. I stand or, corrected. Thank you for that. Or the Infantry Officers Course, which is one of the most grueling bastions of training that is it uh, really? any any service branch has. Okay, uh, very good. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's uh, talk about – so you served during the first Gulf War. You were enlisted, um, thought about uh, you know transitioning, getting a college degree, and uh, then you were, I guess uh, – alerted to a possibility of going through uh, OCS, and um, so you looked into that. And then so when you completed your college, you're, you're now going through OCS, or did it, did it happen simultaneously? I'm not sure, sure if I followed you there. Totally graduated college okay. and uh, went to officer candidate school. Excellent. They've got a couple different programs for uh, prior enlisted guys, as you know. You can do like one summer and then another. Right. But, uh, you know, I don't ever do math in public, but that seemed like okay. three boot camps. So yeah. <laughs> I went for the two boot camp option of getting it yeah. ground into fine powder uh, by our, you know, Marine Corps drill instructors. And uh, once I, I graduated officer candidate school, then you get your commissioning and then you follow on to the basic school, which is another nine months. Sure. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, that's, you know, this as well um, is. It's important for listeners to understand as well that that our military and especially marine officers and navy officers yeah they are given almost a year if yeah. not more of their first year of service in training. Sure. That's that's how well prepared these men and women are before they're placed in a position of leadership in front of I don't care if it's 3 people in the navy 
division or a platoon of 43 infantry Marines in right. the Marine Corps. Right. That, they get that much training, which I think yeah. is remarkable. It's, it's telling. Well, to, and, it's, and it's necessary, too, because before they even allowed me to try court-martial, you've got to go through, at least when I went in, it was officer indoctrination school. So basically it was glorified knife and fork school, you know, how to salute, you know, how to put on the uniform so you don't embarrass yourself. But then um, you go back, and I went, in my case, I went, I uh, went through my officer indoctrination school up in Newport, Rhode Island, came back to Memphis, where I'm from originally, uh, did some temporary duty at the Navy Legal Service Office in Millington, and then went back to Newport, Rhode Island for Naval Justice School. And so, you know, learning how to try courts martial, really tightening up on the rules of evidence and procedure, et cetera, uh, before they ever turn you loose uh, to go and represent uh, uh, sailors and Marines and even the occasional Coast Guardsmen at a uh, court martial. So, you guys really get all sides of the spectrum. In, we do, in and uh, it's good experience, and I certainly was thrilled for the opportunity to get that immediate experience. That's one of the things that was appealing to me about, for example, the Navy JAG, was I would get immediate experience. And as soon as I graduated Naval Justice School, I got posted to uh, the Treasure Island up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and they threw me immediately into criminal defense. And so the Navy has a way of teaching sailors how to swim. How's that? They throw them in the water. <laughs> so you're either going to sink or you're going to swim, but you're going to learn how to do one or the other. And so uh, to train uh, young lawyers, which is what many of us were, you know, you go through that that, that uh, training pipeline and then you get into um, you either representing the government as a prosecutor or representing the accused at a court-martial, um, that sort of thing. And uh, so transitioning then, you um, – what uh, I want to try to, and we probably won't get to it in, in this portion of the show, but I want to talk about uh, your being posted to Ramadi. I mean, what was the events that led up to that? Now, you, you, so you served, served in the first Gulf War, came off active duty, went to college, went to OCS, got your commission, and then um, where did you go after your – you went through. You got your commission. You yeah. Got, so the, quanti- the normal, basic school of quantity. Yeah. The normal pipeline is you, you get assigned to a infantry battalion um, yeah. as a young lieutenant, and you know you cut your teeth there. And um, from from there, I did you know several deployments, you know, in training and in combat, um, yeah. which you know obviously prepared me, um, you know, for what I was about to experience in Ramadi in two thousand six. Sure. And uh, sure. Or at least I thought it was um, <laughs> right because. The type of it, combat and the, the frequency and the intensity of the city at that time in 2006 okay. really redefined what I knew about fighting. Yeah. And I think for even those veterans who fought in 2004 from 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, those 18, 19-year-old kids, when they came back right. almost two years later in 06, they remarked how bad the city had gotten. Oh, and my goodness. Yeah. You know, I was very fortunate to have those, you know, 40 or 50 salty seasoned 22-year-olds sure. now under my command who were able to exhibit that type of leadership day in and day out that really made a difference at every level. In the absence of my command, right. uh, they were absolutely the ones making the decisions, those life and death decisions at such a young age to help us turn the tide of that battle. Wow. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, well, We'll, we'll get into the book here. We've probably got about a minute before we go to break. But uh, before we um, go to break, um, what? How long were you in Ramadi? I know the book is, you know, talks about the your experiences there, leading the men who made up uh, your the Echo Company. But 
Um, how long, start to finish? Uh, yeah, our deployment was extended uh, while we were over there, but um, you know, we got in in, in uh, November of '06, and we left in uh, late January, early February, where we transitioned to Western Alambar Province to clear another town. And what's remarkable is the Army unit we fought under: First Brigade Combat Team and Task Force One and Infantry and One Seven Seven Armor, and all the Army units. They were there for, I think. Uh, 12 or 14 months before we even showed oh, up wow. and then stayed another seven months, like Holy 19 mackerel. months total. Wow. So the impact we made, although significant, you, you know, I still talk to those guys and I think it's like a scratch in what they did, but it was a team effort. Yeah. Just like we're sitting here today, Navy Marine Corps team at it again. <laughs> I love it. You can't get away from you us. You can't. No, it's a great family. Okay. Great family. All right. So we're going into break and we will see you on the flip side. Uh, Rod Hatley interviewing, uh, uh, Iraq War veteran uh, Scott Hughes and Major Scott Hughes. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K, spelled K A Y E. Every great team has a great coach. Every great coach has a great strategy. Let Al Arias and the AV Arias Company create the winning tax strategy for your small business. Instead of waiting until the fourth quarter to create your tax strategy playbook, don't let the IRS blow the whistle on your financial growth and profitability. Contact Al Arias and the AV Arias Company to set up your tax strategy huddle by calling 619-296-2123 or visit avariasco.com. That's A-V-A-R-I-A-S-Co.com. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hadley of the Hadley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. And welcome back again. This is uh, Tax and Estate Planning Attorney Rod Hatley sitting in with retired U.S. Marine Corps Major Scott Husing on uh, this special Memorial Day uh, edition of The Andrea K Show. It's a pleasure to have you with us, and thank you for tuning in. Uh, Scott, before we went to break, we were talking about uh, your experiences, uh, you know, getting into the Marine Corps um, how it was formative for you. You came off active duty, went into college, and then you just couldn't seem to get, get away from it. Uh, you got a, you got a spot at OCS, got through that basic school and then got uh, commissioned and then went out to, to start getting your training. Um, and then uh, let's fast forward. We get to Ramadi. Now, if I understand correctly, we were talking during the break. It's about, it was a, it was two battles, or it was a two-year war that you were over yeah. there. Or let me just make sure well, I, I yeah. Understand. So to fr- to frame it for listeners, um, and a, lo- a lot of people ask sometimes, you know, 
first, you know, why the title of the book? Why Echo and Ramadi? What does it mean? Sure. And, uh, there were some discussions with my publisher about the significance. And yeah. obviously, there's a little play in words. We were Echo Company, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. And, you know, those dark echoes uh, of war that resonate ah, long after yep. we leave. Yep. And But they really kind of were wrapped around the axle rod about Ramadi. No one, no one's going to know what this word is. And I go, yeah, but it sounds kind of sexy. It's an exotic <laughs> word. And, you know, it means... You're the, a good... You're a natural marketer. Yeah, it means the gray city in, in Arabic. Oh, R- really? Ramadi. Okay. Our Ramadi means the gray city. Okay. And I... This was, as, as an attorney, you can uh, appreciate this arg- from an argument's perspective. I said, you know, there was a point in time in, in U.S. history where the general populace didn't know what words like Guadalcanal meant sure. or Iwo Jima exactly. or Saigon oh, yeah. or Way City. And these were key battles. These are key points in U.S. history that most Americans needed to be aware of because they were turning points right. in the war. Right. And Ramadi was no different, but it was essentially a two-year battle. And sometimes we delineate that. We say, first battle of Ramadi, second battle of Ramadi, 04, 06. So yeah, right, right. my battalion was there in 04, and then I was there with my the same battalion in 06 when I joined them. Okay. But to say that it was two separate battles is probably not 100% accurate because okay. there were a lot of other Marine and Army units throughout that sine wave of combat okay. in the city. And we kept playing this game of, you know, hand it over, take it back, hand it over. And the, and the whole area, uh, up until that point in 2006, the whole country was like this giant game of whack-a-mole. And we'd come in, we'd hammer them down in cities like Baghdad or right. Najaf or Fallujah. Sure. The big ones that we saw yeah. on mainstream media. Sure. We'd crush the insurgents into fine powder and they'd seep out and then they'd find another city to take hold in. Okay. So when... President George W. Bush and General Dave Petraeus ordered the surge. Right. We were part of that. They flooded the battle space with tens of thousands of forces. And myself with Echo Company and Fox from 2-4, we were thrust into Ramadi. And that allowed the U.S. Army to use those companies with that massive amount of firepower to really leverage that and go at the enemy with this unbridled ferocity. And really, as one of my commanders referred to me as this blunt instrument of war <laughs> oh my Be- goodness because we literally did just just mow through the city and my marines were constantly on the attack hunting the enemy knocking them back on their heels and making sure that we killed more of them than they did of us and okay. i think that you know wars change but the adage of war is timeless is not cliche it's just the circumstances and environment but the training that my guys had and the understanding of the culture, I think, really helped us not only kill more bad guys, right. which equated to a insurance policy for us sure. to keep more of our guys alive, which I think is the real metric of success for me as a commander, is bring as many Marines home alive as possible. No doubt about it. Yeah. So uh, in the first um, Battle of Ramadi, which was, was that 2004? 04. Okay, yeah. so then... Now, were you there at that time? No. Okay, you were not there. But the Marines that you later commanded, they had been there. They had got battle-hardened as a result of that experience. Mm -hmm. And those were later the men that you commanded uh, in 2006? Yeah, I was was with the uh, anti-terrorism unit in Baghdad in 2004. Okay. Um, But at the same time, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines was was slugging it out in Ramadi. So I came back, went to a school, then I joined my battalion, and – uh, you know, I had about 40 or 50 of those, you know, seasoned guys who, yeah, yeah. no kidding, just, you know, 24 months ago, they were in Ramadi doing the same thing, but they lost 35 Marines and soldiers uh, in the first battle of Ramadi. 
and we lost nine on our deployment. Um, okay, which um, is well, one it, is too many for anyone. Well, sure. But yeah, I I think the what's remarkable is that those guys that fought in the first battle of Armadi remarked about how bad it had gotten, how much worse the city was. Not only the intensity, but the frequency, the fighting. Right. I mean, we were fighting in direct contact with well-trained insurgent force three, four, or five times a day. And, My goodness. you know, it was every day, street to street, house to house, room to room. And we did it in a city of 300,000 people. Wow. That the Euphrates River cut from east to west and everything looked like it had been standing at point blank of a double barrel shotgun blast. It was just rubbled beyond recognition because they'd been fighting there for so long right. it it really was anything listeners can imagine of this post-apocalyptic wasteland covered in a fine layer of dust and mm. everything was just blown to bits my and goodness wow. people had to live through that and they became very desensitized to it and 90 percent of the general population these these local iraqis they wanted peace they wanted stability and they weren't collateral damage right they were people, yeah. and they had kids, and they wanted to go to college, and they wanted to go to the soccer game on Saturday. Sure. So it was a very dynamic environment for young men and women to deal with, to have that type of pressure and deal with that type of friction every right. single day uh, to make those type of decisions. Let's talk for a moment about um, the psychology. You know, I mean, these uh, a lot of the guys that you were commanding had been there in 04, they came back again in 06, and it was even worse than when they'd been there previously. And so it's a it's a deadly place to be, number one. And number two, it's worse than it was two years previously. So I guess the question I would have is how do you, uh, as a commander, and you've got to be sensitive to your people because they're they're the ones who are doing the, the lion's share of the slugging, slugging it out. I mean, I obviously know that you too, you know, you're a trained uh, infantry officer, but – how do you keep these uh, these folks motivated and on task? Uh, because it's got to start wearing on you. you I, and I wonder if there isn't a sense of or feeling of well, what's the point? You know, it's a sense of futility. You know, we're just doing the same thing day after day. We're in this wasteland, this post-apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. How do you continue to motivate your people to keep doing the job and keep staying on on focus? Well, sadly. At that time, and even even to this day, you know, I've said this this morning on a, another program, we're operating off of the best doctrine 1980 had to offer. But despite, <laughs> you know this. Yeah. Um, probably the same thing in like the JAG community or the SGA community is like you, you everything changes so rapidly. It's sure. hard to keep up. Yeah. But despite that, our nation's military adapts these, these micro programs that really address the current and emerging threats on the battlefield. Okay. So through their training, uh, through the leadership at every level, right. not, not just mine, um, and through the brotherhood, right. I, I think is really what sustains them when they're immersed in that type of environment. So how do how do you motivate an 18 or 19-year-old kid sure. to do the things they have to do right. when they don't want to do it when it needs to be done? And I think that's through not only the training, but you know, force of personality. And it was important to me before we were thrust into Ramadi, I told my senior enlisted Marine Tom Foster. I said, "Hey, for Sergeant, get him outside. I want to talk to the boys." Okay, and they were all they were all out on the side of this hill. It was an old Iraqi bunker, and 
they're kind of, you know, griping and moaning. They're thinking it's going to be this big photo op, you know, and you know, if the troops aren't complaining, they're not, really, <laughs> it, you know, they're not right. happy. And if, right. they're, and if they're not complaining, something's really wrong. Okay. Um, sure. But it was important to me to talk to the boys that day. And I had to look at them in the face and, and I ordered them to kill. And wow. I said, for most of you, this is the first time you'll ever experience this type of combat. And sure. it was unlike anything they would witness the savagery and the, the the worst of humanity that I could even imagine. Um, I didn't at the time, but I told them you're mm-hmm. going to kill because Marines do a lot of things. Great. You, you know, this sure is they absolutely shoot their rifles straighter than anybody. And they kill with uh, absolute lethality, but they also follow orders and right. I was ordering them to kill. Okay. And I said, you know, for most of you, this won't be a natural act and it shouldn't be, but sure. I'm ordering you to kill because when we leave this place, it's my responsibility, not yours. And this isn't something original, Rod. I mean, this comes from years of great leadership that I'd been surrounded by right. and mentors that I had that I wanted it to be okay for them to kill, to okay. make that decision. That well, it's, I, what they, it's what they were trained for. It's why, they're, yeah. why you're over there. But you know, you know, in that type of environment that is so dynamic and so kinetic, right. I never, never wanted them to hesitate at that singular moment when they had to make that life and death decision, when they had the enemy fixed in their scope and they slipped their finger into that trigger well right. and squeezed it and took another human life, mm-hmm. I never wanted them to hesitate. And when they left Ramadi, I wanted them to fight with honor and sure. also leave with a clean heart and a clean conscience, knowing that it was my order to do what they had to do. Wow. But they still wouldn't able be able to ever unsee any any of the things that they uh, saw or unhear a lot of the things that they they heard as well. And let me just ask you because I'm sure the listeners probably want to know this too. How do you how do you you just do you compartmentalize uh, these experiences so that you can you know function in the regular world when you come back stateside or you, you come back to reality as we know it? I mean, how do you how do you handle that? That's the word we all use is compartmentalize, and you'll hear it. From any community, um, whether it's aviators or infantrymen, we we see and accumulate all of these little bits of trauma. Sure. And how you compartmentalize those, I think, is a very individual process for each soldier Marine when they they have to experience and and do those things that they have to do on the battlefield. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're heading into break here shortly, so uh, stay with us. This is uh, Tax and State Planning Attorney Rod Hatley with retired Marine Corps Major uh, Scott Husing, uh, author of the wonderful book Echo in Ramadi. We'll see you on the flip side, and we'll get more into the book when we come back from the break. Talk to you soon. Want more Andrea Kay? Follow her on Twitter at Andrea Kay Show and like her Facebook page at Andrea Kay, spelled K-A-Y-E. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. 
Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hadley of the Hadley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. Every great team has a great coach. Every great coach has a great strategy. Let Al Arias and the A.V. Arias Company create the winning tax strategy for your small business. Instead of waiting until the fourth quarter to create your tax strategy playbook, don't let the IRS blow the whistle on your financial growth and profitability. Contact Al Arias and the A.V. Arias Company to set up your tax strategy huddle by calling 619-296-2123 or visit avariasco.com. That's A-V-A-R-I-A-S co.com. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. And welcome back. Uh, this is Tax and Estate Planning Attorney Rod Hatley sitting in this uh, Memorial Day with uh, uh, retired Marine Corps Major Scott Husing, author of the book Echo in Ramadi, which is really recounts his experiences as the uh, commander of uh, Echo Company uh, in uh, battling in the deadliest city in uh, uh, Iraq, uh, Ramadi. Uh, Scott, before we went to the break, you, we were talking about how you had given an order to your men to kill, which is really what they were over there to do. I mean, they were there to protect and to defend, and if they had to do it, they were ordered to kill and not have any hesitation to pull that trigger when the time came. And they were seeing things that they'll never be able to unsee, hearing things they'll never be able to unhear. And so we were talking about how people, I guess, under your command and probably even yourself, how do you compartmentalize those experiences that the rest of us probably would have a hard time with? And so I'm just curious to kind of follow up on that with you at this time. Well, you know, as a 35-year-old commander at the time, the lens that I viewed that – that trauma at was a lot different than an 18 year old kid. And, of course, yeah. you know, you accumulate life experience and training and I'd had multiple deployments and combat tours already, but right. how they saw it, you know, it probably wasn't until I, I wrote the book and looked back at the ages of all the characters in the book. And they are some characters, trust me, in, mo- in some, there always instances. are. Yeah. That's what makes it so great to be able to share this story with, uh, with everybody. But, how you compartmentalize that trauma, whether it's it's killing another human being or, or or seeing the the vast wake of destruction that the insurgents left behind, as they use the local Iraqis as is nothing more than fodder to get their hateful ideology across. Right. Um, you know these stories of murder and intimidation and kidnapping and beheadings and dismemberment. Right. This is not urban legend. I mean, we witness this thing oh, day in and day out as, as we conducted clearance operations throughout the city. But you put those things away because you have to continue to fight. You have to continue to survive in that type of environment. And when they do that, you know, they pack them away. And I, I use a jam analogy. Like it's, it's a big mess, right? And you put yeah. the lid on it, you, you stick it in the closet, sure. you, you put it on the shelf and you close the door and you, you'll deal with it later. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Yeah. And or not it, depending, I guess, or huh? not. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if you don't deal with it, yeah. it, it, it catches up with you. Um, okay. and for some, for some, it, it has devastating effects. And you know, when that ground shakes in everyone's life and it does for most, 
and the jar rattles off the shelf and crashes and breaks and it oozes uh, underneath the door, uh-huh. you're forced to go open it up and clean it up. Yeah. You got to clean up the mess. Right. And it's a different experience for everybody, but I've been fortunate to be connected to so many great organizations, veteran support groups, uh, nonprofits, and just our amazing Gold Star families that lost everything. Absolutely. They're always there for us. One person opens the door, the other has a mop, the other has a dustpan, oh, and together, wonderful. this network Great helps us deal with the trauma that sometimes comes crashing down. And that's really what this story is about. It's not a story about war. It's a story about people who fought during a time of war, during one of the bloodiest fights in U.S. modern history, during right. the most kinetic urban warfare we've seen in a long, long time. Sure. But it's about the power of human connection. And okay. it's about people and how... Well, it's a human story, really, is at absolutely. the end of the day, right? Okay. Absolutely. And those families and the Marines and soldiers helped us fight and, and survive and win, mm-hmm. but they still do to this day. And not only through that connection to help people deal with some of the the, the harder aspects, um, but it's not a story of darkness. These people, it's a story of brightness and togetherness that we still stay connected to this day really? through... Even the bad times, um, and despite losing, uh, you know, Marines to the effects of post-traumatic stress okay. um, and the suicides that we've had to deal with in Echo Company alone, sure, uh, those families and our even our Gold Star families, they always show up. They're always there for us, and they are extraordinary people. But they, we don't want this message to be of dour, you know, widows or shrouded moms or these you know gloomy veterans. We're survivors, and, right. and all these guys I see day in and day out, having just come back from Boston, we were talking before the show, yeah, sure. you know, guys that have lost limbs, multiple limbs, devastating sure. effects to their physical body, right. their minds are still sharp, and they are winning, and they're these human success stories, and it's the same thing with our Gold Star families that I'm so proud to be connected with. Yeah. They really do shine light for so many people dealing with the darkness that they may be trying to find their way through at times. And I, I cannot say enough to our Gold Star families and, and all of those that support us that how much we love them because sure. they are amazing people. No doubt about it. Holy mackerel. Well, that's, you know, and I, I guess for me, what's, what's valuable to talk to you about this is to realize what a great network there is, a support system, if you will. And, I mean, it, it breaks my heart as I drive around San Diego and I – I'll see someone who's holding a sign, you know, Vietnam veteran or veteran or whatever, and I just think to myself, you know, someone who's homeless on the street, and I just think to myself, gosh, is, is aren't there some, you know, some support system that they could plug into and, and get assistance? Yeah. Are you seeing people uh, like that, or or, or the, your experience is really limited to your uh, the, the the guys you served with in Echo Company? No, no, and that and that's what. You know, I'm proud to say not only is the executive director of SaveTheBrave.org, which is a nonprofit that helps vets with PTS, that was started by one of my young Marines I fought with in oh, Amadi. Wonderful. Um, I want to say alongside. I fought alongside of him. Now we fight together. We don't. We have a great relationship. Nick Velez started Save the Brave. Excellent. But um, these organizations are so helpful, and it's through that connection. And when he reached out to me and said, hey, sir, you know, we'd love you to lead and, and really get us in the right direction. I think that was, and you know, as a, as a leader, you don't seek those moments, but I think it was important to me to understand that, you know, my leadership didn't stop when I left Ramadi, 
Ron. Okay. It didn't stop when I retired from the Marine Corps after 24 years. It continues to this day. I'm still connected to not only the Marines I fought with in Ramadi, but all the Marines. And oftentimes uh, in the private sector, you hear people say, well, people are our most valuable commodity, right? They, <laughs> sure. I mean, they throw that around. Like of course. It's, it's, it's cool. But it's leadership is not a nine to five job. And I would submit to anybody that's gotten to any level of uh, authority or position. When's the last time you called back to the company you left or the division you left that were the ones responsible for getting you to the success you had? When's the last time you called back to your alma mater and said, Hey, professor flip flop. Thank you for that lecture. It was life changing to me Hmm. and I wouldn't be, the you know the county's leading tax and estate planning attorney without it sure so if people are really the most valuable commodity you got to put some you got to put some uh, some effort behind it and really go back and stay connected with those people okay. I think I think that's a tenet of leadership that they probably don't teach us and and yeah. that isn't taught in the the textbooks of uh, you know the schools professional warriors attend you know those words like love and compassion and understanding right. Those are the words you read between the lines. And those uh, are the words and things that great leaders around you uh, teach you. And sure. you hope, hopefully pick up on those. And <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was very fortunate to have some of the best leadership throughout my career to teach me those things along the way. Yeah. I can reflect back to my own time in the in, in the service. Now, I certainly didn't go into the theater of war as you did. But nonetheless, I had great mentors um, when I was a Navy JAG. Uh, people who showed me how to practice law, how to be an effective advocate for, on behalf of my clients. And so, and those people have stayed with me, and I still stay in touch with a lot of them. Uh, my former um, department head for legal assistance when I was at Treasure Island, um, you know, uh, we were friends on Facebook, as is my former CO when I was up at China Lake. Um, and I've been able to help his family on a number of issues, uh, legal issues. So, you know, it's, those are really, I, I really treasure those associations. Um, but, you know, it's a different situation. I mean, because you, you're, it's like a band of brothers when you guys are, you know, take that defensive position in Ramadi or wherever you are. Uh, whereas, you know, just being an attorney, you may not necessarily forge those relationships, yeah. <laughs> you know, necessarily. But uh, it's still the point is that is excellent that you've made. You know, people are your most valuable commodity, and if you treat them well and you're there to support them and to help build them up, but also hold them accountable too, that uh, that that's how you have a winning team. And, and sounds yeah, like you yeah, did. leadership's a lifelong commitment, and um, it's something I subscribe to. And not only the the guys that are doing well, but the guys that are having rough spots. And being a great leader means sharing everything and and you know when you get a little older in life and you gain some age and wisdom and experience (laughs) one hopes yeah like we do yeah hopefully some guys would never take seed but uh exactly you know you 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 share those wins and losses and those slippery points and the times you've fallen um not not so you won't land hard on your back sure but so you can get back up and identify those slippery points for those you lead and make sure that they don't um you know, succumb to the same perils that, that you experience. That's leadership. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes, um, you know, our organization, I think, a little bit different than most. And those lessons of leadership uh, in Echo and Ramadi are emblematic of not just what I did, but all of the leaders. Okay. Those life lessons and team building and survival. And again, you know, that, that power of human connection that um, is really 
again, emblematic of not just the guys that I fought with in Ramadi, because I, I say it probably on the first page of the book, Rod, is I, I never want to presuppose or boast that we were the biggest, baddest company <laughs> of Marines ever walked the face of the battlefield. We weren't. There were plenty of others that, that fought as hard, if not harder, lost more if um, or as many as we did, and sure. sacrificed as much, if not more. Sure. But what we did in Ramadi in 06 and 07 we made a difference and we, we, we did what we were ordered to do. And I think that all the Marines and soldiers I fought alongside should be justifiably proud. And as we are in national military appreciation month, I always want to say to every listener, thank you for your service. I don't care if you were bouncing guys out of the courtroom or (laughs) scraping paint on a ship or a wrench on a truck or kicking doors in a Ramadi, your service matters and you should be proud of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, and I, I, I think it's valuable to hear that from someone who not only was overseas, but, you know, was able to bring that back home again. Uh, we're going to see you on the uh, flip side. We're going to take a commercial break here, and uh, then we'll wrap up our conversation with retired Marine Corps uh, Major Scott Husey. Be sure to follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show and follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K, spelled K-A-Y-E. Home buying and selling can be a daunting and stressful experience. It will likely be the biggest financial purchase of your life. Hi, I'm Julie Mills Brennan, and I've been selling homes in San Diego for over 20 years. I've seen the market in its highs and in its lows, and through the years, I've immersed myself in nearly every market area. I realize that anyone can find you a house. I want to find you a home, a home that you will build great memories in. Call me or text me at 619-992-7113. Call me today. I would be honored to help you find your dream home. Statistics have shown that at some point you will die. In fact, I could die during this commercial. Now that I have your attention, this is tax and estate planning attorney Rod Hadley of the Hadley Law Group. Because life happens, it makes sense to have an estate plan in place much the same way you probably have life insurance to provide for your family. An estate plan is a set of instructions for how you want your assets to be passed on in a way that works for you and your loved ones. For a free consultation, give me a call at 858-792-3444, 858-792-3444. I can't wait to help protect your family's legacy. You're listening to The Andrea K Show on AM 1170, The Answer. And it's uh, tax and state planning attorney Rod Hatley sitting in with you this evening, uh, interviewing retired Marine Corps Major Scott Husing. Uh, former commander of uh, Echo Company uh, in Ramadi during 2006 and 2007, uh, the deadliest city in Iraq uh, during the surge, I guess it was. So, Scott, uh, we've had uh, a chance to talk about the book, but what what, what were the circumstances? Now, you re- when did you retire, to be sure? December of 2013. Okay. Yeah. And the book was published after that, it sounds like, right? Yeah, a lot of people ask me a question like, you know, how long did it take you to write the book? And yeah. I, I say 11 years. Um, <laughs> okay, well, that would make sense. Yeah, sure. well, you know, from soup to nuts, it it, it was probably a year um, okay. to, to put the words in a book. But, you know, had I written the book when I came back, the story would have been the same, Ron. It, you know, okay. it takes time for people to process those pieces oh, of trauma. Oh, no doubt, sure. And for the families to share those stories, both um, the, the, the heartening ones and you know, some of the tough ones, but also some of the funnier ones that come out. I mean, sure. it's not, it's not just about the fighting and the friction, the, you know, the sexy explosions and all that. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it, it's also about that friction and, and some of the things that never go right. And I'm telling you, it's not all 
you know, bungee cording through skylights and laser beams and zapping oh, the bad guys. You yeah. know, there's some tough points too, but oh, sure. that friction you experience on the battlefield, it's not always choreographed. It's not never pretty. Right. And it's inch by inch some days. And oh, yeah. That, that's what we dealt with, and that's what I wanted to communicate in a very raw, unvarnished account of what my guys did to honor their service and sacrifice and that of the families that supported us. So it took me 11 years to write it. And, um, well, it took you the 11 years to have the experience yeah. to put onto the paper, but it probably took yeah. you start to finish about a year to actually put the words on yeah. the paper and edit it and get it ready to, to be published. Yes, that's uh, okay. that's a whole other hour of uh, it's like <laughs> okay. a, it's like an encyclopedia Britannica series, like how to get a book published. But uh, you know, again, a guy who didn't do well in high school and then gets his degree in criminal justice, uh, most people are like, "How did you put? Did you write this book in crayon?" Most Navy guys or Army guys would be like, "Oh, did you write it in crayon?" Yeah, yeah. And uh, well, so what was the impetus, though? I mean, you you had this tremendous experience, which you know, I suppose. I can only imagine what it was like. I yeah. mean, I suppose when I read the book, I'll get a flavor of it, but I have no idea. The cons- I, have no, I have no concept. Well, of what I never it- wanted the Battle of Ramadi again to fall into the shadows of other great battles. Okay. And I think that was really the most important part and to never forget those right. that we lost. Okay. And as we approach, you know, and we're airing on Memorial Day, I think it's important that um, – you know, those Marines that I lost in my company are never forgotten. Right. And, and the families sure. are never forgotten because yeah. for every one soldier Marine that we lose in combat, they leave families behind moms and dads and, 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 yeah, it's and a ripple spouses yeah. and brothers and sisters. And, you know, we need to remember them. And I think this is just one small contribution to that, not only for the Battle of Ramadi, but also to pay tribute to my Marines and sailors that, that fought and died and, you know, they, they made the ultimate sacrifice. And yeah. uh, even the ones we've lost to suicide, Rod, uh, yeah. sadly, um, you know, there's no there's no granite memorial with their names etched in stone. And okay. their parents don't have these great support groups like some. But um, okay. thankfully, we do have our Gold Star um, families and, and the national uh, Gold Star mothers. They, they, they're they a very inclusive group, and, and they take care of everybody. So I think that's important. So Okay. You know, long answer to a short question on why I wrote the book, but it, it was pretty complex. And this is a lot of emotional stuff for me. And, um, you know, I had to put a lot of myself in it, too. After doing 75 interviews with Marines and the families, you know, there came a point in time, too, where my editor said, Scott, there's not enough of you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you have to share that not only as a writer, as an artist, but I felt in in fairness and as a leader, I had to share what I had gone through. Yeah. And, and that's not always an easy thing to do when you, you throw it out there on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and sure. Costco and wherever else is, the book has been picked up. And, you know, I've only enjoyed that success too, through all the great supporters that stake their reputations on Equinormati, like major general James Livingston, medal of honor recipient right. who wrote the forward to the book. Um, who's wow. also echo company, second battalion, fourth Marines. Oh, really? He, uh, received his Medal of Honor during this Battle of Dido in Vietnam. Okay. Um, so this family of magnificent bastards, which is our legitimate call sign uh, for those listening. <laughs> that's a, it's not that's just, too good. It's not just the Marines' one slip to try and get some foul language in on the air, but that's our call sign. And uh, others like Bing West and Dale Dye and uh, Brigadier General Weiss, Navy Cross recipient, and the wow. the host of others, Oliver North, uh, you know, that, that put their name on this book. All Marines, of course, you know, we're a very 
uh, tight knit group. And, of course you are. But what's interesting is you got to be careful when you ask these people because if it was bad, Marines are notorious for eating their own for breakfast. Okay. And um, I'm quite sure Bing West would have called me. He was the first one that read the manuscript over a weekend and said, let's get this published. Oh, wow. And uh, that's... That's a nice photo of confidence. It is, yeah. So um, had it not been ready, I'm quite sure uh, with his candor, he would have said, hey, man, you you can't let this thing out of the cage. (laughs) Hit the brakes using um, not ready for prime time. But it it was ready, and we've had tremendous success. It's been number one bestseller on on Amazon and uh, multiple times, and we continue to share this story um, as I you know, go from coast to coast and do speakings and signings and, and just remind people of the immense sacrifice that these young men and women make for our nation. So we can sit here in this comfy studio in San Diego and, sure. and talk about this. Uh, this is probably not a fair question, but I'll ask it. If you don't want to answer it, that's up to you. Just lay it on me. M- might we ever see a movie that comes from this book or would, is the, I mean, or, or would that even be possible? It's it, interestingly, as I was finishing the book through the editing process, I was also part of the Writers Guild in L.A. Oh, for a veterans writing project up in Hollywood. And Excellent. The culminating point was pitching your project uh, ah. to senior level uh, executive movie producers. From so I pitched uh, to Warner uh, Brothers Entertainment, Sony Entertainment, I think uh, Smokehouse Regency which allowed us to really bypass the whole agent process and you get in front of these guys. And, sure. you know, to, again, I'll say thanks to WGA and the Vets Writing Program for making that happen. It's a great network and not only learning more about, you know, the screenwriting process, which is primarily what oh, yeah. the course is designed for, which I don't think, um, I really got because I'm working on another novel right now, but... Uh, you got to tell us more about that when you finish on this. Yeah, one. it's a, yeah. Um, but the... So yeah, I pitched the book to Hollywood. Um, I never had a great, this grand cinematic vision, maybe through my own humility, but uh, everybody that reads it is always, you know, pimping me like, "Hey, you know, when I want to play this part, or who's going to play this guy?" Like, you know, Marines, you know, they're so shy. And I mean, awful. who would play you in the movie? Oh man, that's really a tough one. That's like, uh, I don't know who was the last guy. I think uh, someone said I haven't picked, but I think it was Phil Briggs out in DC said. Uh, Tom Hardy. I, don't know. I can a, see that. He's a British guy, but yeah. it's got to be someone around 35, you know, because I'm more, I'm, for, you know, yeah. in my 40s now, and I have this Chuck Norris look going on now. Yeah, so yeah. The, right. I, you know, I'm not going to shave the beard at this stage. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. You're off yeah. back to duties. Yeah, exactly. You're a seal. It'd be a different story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're working on another novel, it sounds like, or another book? Yeah. Working on a book inspired by True Events, which is another story of great military heroics. Okay. Um, this time it's about um, Marine Corps. Um, light attack uh, helicopter pilots oh, and the heroics good. in uh, another significant battle. But um, won't say any more than that. That's fine. Uh, That's still, fine. Wo- still working on it, but um, it's an amazing story. But uh, this book right now, Echo and Ramadi, is, you know, we continue to get the word out um, in, uh, through my publisher, Regnery, um, which is part of the Salem family here, which is always so great to me. Um, sure. You know, playing, I, I love, I love radio guys and, and, and this family, they play hot potato and we bounce veteran artists around and other authors. And mm-hmm. we, we share and tell these stories so they don't get marginalized in mainstream media. And okay. I think that's important. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, I found over the course of the last several months since we launched the book, and it's only been out three months is that 
it's really another way that I'm helping veterans because I'm now mentoring other veteran writers. Wonderful. Guys that are published. I, I say, hey, have you been on the Andrea Kyle show in San Diego? Or sure. have you have you been on uh, you know all these other shows that we're tied into? It's just a great network. Great Excellent. Americans, great people are willing to support this story. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, let's see. Any, as we close out this uh, this uh, hour together, other thoughts that uh, come to you in terms of either the, the book itself or um, obviously we don't want to get political here. That's not our, our purpose. Um, but any thoughts about uh, the present situation over in the Middle East or, or just anything else that you wanted to just final thoughts that, that you might want to share with the listeners today? Well, I, I do talk a little bit about it. Um, None of us needed a crystal ball to realize if, if if we didn't provide some sort of physical presence over there, sure. like like we did in the Pacific or European campaign, we'd be back. And here we are. It's, you know, 2015, ISIS took Ramadi. Right. We're still there. Yeah. We're still fighting. It's these young men and women um, that are sacrificing everything. And, uh, you know, as we today is especially not the day to talk about fighting as as we do on veterans day but sure. you know i'd like to close with you know a, a final thought on memorial Please. day and the fact that um you know i'm very honored to um be invited to speak you know at the nixon museum on memorial day as well wonderful uh, which um is an amazing honor but um you know general Patton said and i'll paraphrase this is we should never mourn those men and women that we lost but be grateful that they lived absolutely and I think it's very appropriate, and I, I don't think it could have been said any better. Because uh, honor them by remembering them. Bingo. Take take Memorial Day to uh, stop during your picnic or your celebration or sure. um, your your memorial to understand that there's so many people that have given everything, absolutely, and that there's families left behind. And when you see those gold star families, just say thank you and hug them. Sure, and. Uh, really honor what uh, they gave that full measure to protect this great country that we live in, that everybody should be so proud of to have, you know, great Americans being raised by these great families, this Memorial day. And uh, I'm, I'm extremely grateful. It's been an absolute honor to have you, Scott. Thank you so much. This is tax and estate planning attorney, Rod Hatley. Uh, this has been a special edition of the Andrea Kay show with retired Marine Corps major, Scott Husing talking about his uh, book, echo in Ramadi. Have a wonderful Memorial Day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.